Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. God is so good in the house. Today's message is, man, just one of my favorites. It's like every week's one of my favorites, I know, but especially today. Just look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you're here. Man, I'm so happy that you're here. I wish I could walk around and shake every one of your hands. I remember when the church was just meeting in my house, you know. I could just tell everybody that like 20 times. And now it's like sometimes I don't get to say hi to you, but just know that we love you. You're precious to my wife and I. And the discipleship that's going on, I can see the multiplication. It is so awesome that, you know, people are opening up their homes now. And just like how we started the church in our home, now other homes are open. As Ish and Robin were sharing with that, I was so blessed. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically the part on the Sermon on the Mount that we're in is called the Beatitudes. So everyone say Beatitudes. And um, that's a Latin word. Does anybody know what that Latin word means? We talked about it last week. Blessings, very close. The word blessing means something that we learned that Beatitudes means literally in Latin. Bliss and happiness, yeah. Somebody's got some notes. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. Bliss and happiness. So my brother was close by saying the words blessings. And this starts off every verse with the word blessed. Uh, but really what does the word blessings means? It means happiness, to be blissful, to be satisfied in God. And we talked about how God satisfying us is not how the world satisfies us. For example, when we read blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God, we would not think happy and blissful are those who are poor in their spirit what we would rather put there is happy and blissful are those who win the lottery for they shall be able to buy a big house that's how the american dream is right but you see god is teaching us that his kingdom is the opposite in god's kingdom the greatest is not the one who runs to the first and 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 takes over everybody and usurps authority no the greatest in the kingdom of god is what a servant Amen. Everybody say servant. You see, we're learning that God's way is different than the world's way. So as we read the Beatitudes, let us ask God today to teach us what his kingdom is about. Amen. All right. Look at verse one. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, now I want you to notice right here. The crowds came to him, but his disciples, or rather the crowds followed, but it's his disciples that came close. Everybody say there's always a crowd. Look at your neighbor and say there's always a crowd, but disciples get close to Jesus. You see, there's a difference between just coming to church like, oh, I'm going to church today. I'm a part of the crowd of Christians and being a follower of Christ. You see, just showing up on Sunday is not what God asked you to do, though that's part of what he asked you to do. He asked you to show up here and now live out what you're taught. You see, I want you to always know the difference in Metro Praise between the crowds and disciples. Amen? There's two people in this church right now. There is the crowd who just comes to church on Sunday. They just read their Bible and they have some extra time. They just pray when they need an extra blessing. And those are just the crowds. They come and go as they please. But disciples follow Jesus. Disciples get close to God. And they say, God, whatever you teach me, I'm going to do. Wherever you go, I will follow. Disciples say, I want to live like you. Lay down my life for you and share you with the whole world say i'm a disciple 
I want you all to hear that today. You see, this is not for the crowd. You see, today, what television and televangelists and the Christian media, what they're promoting is a message to the crowd. They want to give you seven steps to get rich quick and how never to have a problem in your life and just to have a bigger house and all of these things. And they're preaching to the crowds. But I haven't come to preach to the crowds. Are you listening to me? I've come to preach to disciples. I've come to preach to somebody that wants to be a a, a generation changer. I want to talk to somebody that wants to make a difference and live like Christ. If you're here, can you say amen? You see, I didn't come to get along with the world. We didn't come to start this church to be buddy buddies with politicians and and to have an ecumenical movement where me and the bishop of of the Catholic Church and and the imam of the mosque, we all get together in some kumbaya. We have not come here for that. We've come here to rebuke the devil, shine the light of Christ, and ask everybody, whose side are you on? Because as for me and my house, we on the side of Jesus. Amen? We came to get bowed it, bowed it for the Lord. Amen? You see, there's always going to be a difference. There's always going to be a difference between the people who just want to follow Jesus and the people who want to live like Jesus. It's just that simple. Now, the crowds went up on that mountainside, but his disciples came to him. you got to come to him and listen to what he's saying. Do what he's saying. Now we got verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that. What that means is to come broken before God. To say, God, I'm nothing without you. I can try to be religious. I can try to be cute. But all my good works are but filthy rags in your sight. I need your blood. Wash me clean and give me your kingdom. That's what it means to be poor in the spirit. Amen? Then the next verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The book of James says that the people of the world need to stop their laughing and turn it to weeping. They need to take off their fancy clothes, and they need to put on sackcloth and put ashes over their head. That's an Old Testament way of mourning, you see, because the Bible says that they have heaped on themselves their sin, and they're going to face judgment and eternal damnation. So the Bible says you'll be happy, you'll be blissful, you'll be blessed if you know how to mourn, if you know how to get on your knees and say, God, I've brought broken your laws. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus will come for you. Oh, we talked about he'll comfort you. See, he'll, he'll change you. He'll take you from being who you were to who he wants you to be. Amen? A lot of people say, oh, God loves me just the way I am. Oh, yes, he does. And he loves you too much to leave you that way. He wants to change you to who he is. You can come as you are, but you're going to leave just as he is. Amen? You see, Jesus Christ came to make new creations. And part of that birth, what happens when a child is first born, comes out crying? It shows you that it's alive. It shows you that it's clear in its lungs. And you see, when you're born in the kingdom of God, you come weeping. You come broken. You come saying, God, I don't have the answers. I've messed it up on my own, and I need you. And now you are cleansed. Amen? And then number three, blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. That's today's lesson. But let's keep going so they can always be in your heart for the rest of this month and the time we're in this series. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You have to come and hear that one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown merciful. See, we don't hear this on TV. We don't hear this from today's preachers. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's the truth right there. You want to see God? I talk to people all the time holding a beer on Belmont and Clark. Look, look, look. I don't see God. 
I don't see Jesus out here. Well, because you're living like the devil. You ain't never going to see him like that. You know, you see people like that are atheists and hate God and they're flicking God off and they're saying, oh, I dare God to come here right now. If he's real, smite me with lightning. Well, that just shows you how much of a fool you are. God's not coming like that. Bible says the pure in heart see God. I guarantee you, you lay down the sin in your life. You ask God to cleanse and purify you. You will know that God exists. He will come to you. How many of you have seen God in your life and in others? Can you say amen? So I can preach about that. But that's a couple weeks. Amen. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Everybody say amen. Now today, let's just review what we've learned. Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus is. He is on a mountainside. There are crowds around him, and disciples are right next to him saying, Come on, whatever you say, Jesus, I want him. If you tell me, blessed are those who hop on one foot and and balk like a chicken, I'm doing it, Jesus. If you you teach me things that blow my mind, blessed are those who mourn. God, I'm going to get in a broken heart. Are you listening? They came ready to listen. That's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's what we're reading. Those of you who are new to the church, we're going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. All of our previous lessons are on metropraise.org. You can read all about Jesus' temptation, his baptism, John the Baptist. We are learning the Bible here. And everybody who are happy for that, somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. We don't hear stories about me on the farm and all these cute little things that pastors try to do to pass time. We're reading the Bible. Can you say, thank you, Lord? Woo! We're going to have a good time. Beatitudes, Latin for state of bliss and happiness. And the word blessed means to be happy. They called it the Beatitudes, the first part of Matthew, because here's God's plan for happiness. And like I said, there's not one part in that plan that says about money. There's not one part in that plan that says about all the things that you hear from American Idol teenagers. Oh, you have, you have money, you have a house. No, 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 no. Jesus says you'll be happy when you learn how to mourn. Jesus says you'll be happy when you're poor in your spirit, when you're pure in your heart, when you're a peacemaker, when you're persecuted for doing what's right. That's what Jesus said. Now, I want you just to look up here. We don't have time to turn to all these verses today. But here is another verse in the book of John, which, by the way, we're doing in the youth group. So the Fridays that we meet with our youth, we're going through the entire book of John, verse by verse. So the adults that are interested in those lessons, please go there as well. And you can see on the website. But look what Jesus said in the book of John. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Somebody say, that devil's bad. You see that right there? That devil's bad. You don't want to play with him. You don't want to mess with that devil. You see, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to take everything you have. He wants to kill your life. And then he wants to destroy your soul in eternal hell. That's what he tried to do with me. I love how my mama puts it. My mama said, you see, that devil's so dumb, he doesn't understand the redemption of God. So what he did to you, Joe, is he first stole your high school education when you dropped out of school. But he wasn't happy there. What he had to do was start sending drugs into your life to try to kill you. 
And when you were about ready to die, he, did, he didn't stop there. He wanted to destroy you. And what he did is he, he sent things into your life that was going to damn your soul to hell. But right when he did that, when you got to your worst, that's when Jesus Christ could talk to you. So the devil actually drew you closer to God because he doesn't know about the redemption of God. Because Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, if you can wake up right now, if you're in trouble, Jesus Christ can save you. Amen? You see, the devil, he's just not going to leave you alone. You think it's going to get better, it will get worse and worse. And do you call on Jesus and get his eternal life? So here's the point. We're learning about a blessed life because God wants us to have an abundant life. But the definition of an abundant life is not a new house. It's not new cars. It's not new clothes. It's not having the popularity of your peers or the people you work with. The life that God has called us to have, this abundant life, this full life, is the life that he is outlining in Matthew. It's a life of purity. It's a life of being broken before God. It's a life of having the kingdom of God. It's a life of making a difference in this world. If you believe it, can you say amen? Now, I want you to see the definitions of what we're going to talk about here today. We're going to talk about blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does meek mean? What does it mean to be meek? The Bible defines meekness as humble in heart before God and man. So you can say meekness is to be humble. It's it's almost the same word, and they are used many times, meekness and humility, interchangeably throughout the Bible. And it simply means to be humble in heart before God and man. Another way to look at it is meekness. It's not weakness. It's strength under control. It's saying I can do this and that. I can have an attitude, but I'd rather be humble. And that's another way to look at it. And here's today's definition I'm really going to apply to our message. To know one's identity, position, and function. And I'm going to explain to you why I came up with that definition. But that's going to be my definition. To be meek is to know who you are where you are in life, and what to do in life. I'm going to teach that. That's my definition. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But I'm going to go to the next part. It says, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, so look at how God, see, I love what God says. See, Jesus says, you do this, you receive this. Does everybody get that? Everybody look up there. See, there's a condition right there. You see the first part? Blessed are the meek, comma, for they will inherit the earth. Do you ever meet people that just think they're going to heaven because they're cute? You ever meet people that think they're going to heaven just because they do good works? I met a woman yesterday. I was talking to her on the streets. You know, I said, are you born again? No, I'm not born again. And I said, well, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Well, well, why do you think I'm going to heaven? Because I'm a good person. See, she believed a lie that the devil told her that because she is a good person, she thinks she can go to heaven. So I began to ask her how good she was. I said, you ever told a lie? She said, yeah, I told a lie every now and then. I said, you ever take the Lord's name in vain? Yeah, I've taken the Lord's name in vain. I said, you ever been real angry and say something you wished you wouldn't have, you knew it was wrong? Yeah, I've done that. I said, well, you've just broken about, you just broke about four or five of the Lord's commandments right there. I said, how good do you think you are to get to heaven? I said, when you are judged, you're not compared to goodness of other people. Like, how good are you to the Taliban? How good are you to drug dealers? Your goodness is going to be compared to the perfection of the law in Jesus Christ. And I said, right now, you're already condemned. Oh, hello. See, I, I preached like that. And she got quiet like some of y'all getting quiet. Because you think you're going to heaven just because you don't murder, you don't steal? I want to tell you something, but you've told a lie. You've, you've committed adultery in your mind with lust. The Bible says we've all sinned. 
And the only way we get the internal, uh, inherit the internal life is by being born again and living like we've been saved. I love it right here. He says, blessed are the meek. You see, only those that humble themselves before God will be born again. Only those who can say, God, I accept your path of salvation. And this woman ended up leaving. I was, it was kind of funny. She kept, like, stepping back. And I kept trying, kept like stepping closer to her, and then she kept taking a little hot chocolate and just kept. And all of a sudden, it was like I was talking, "Okay, we'll see you then." And then like she just kept walking away. You know why? Because she wasn't meek. She didn't want to be humble. What she wanted to do was go to heaven her way. You see, Islam is Muhammad's way to heaven. You see, Hinduism is Krishna and those prophets' way to heaven. Are you listening? There is only one way to get there, though, and Jesus told us the way. He didn't say, I'm a part of the way. He didn't say, I'm one of many ways. Jesus Christ didn't say, I'm pointing the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. And that takes meekness. That takes humility. And if you have some meekness with God, you can inherit the earth. The Bible says after Armageddon on Judgment Day and all the things that go down here in the book of Revelations, you can be on this earth for eternity with Christ Jesus. But it's going to take meekness. And so what does that mean? To be given the right to rule and reign with Jesus upon the earth for eternity. Also, to receive all the heavenly blessings forever with Jesus on earth. So right now, Bill Gates is going to get kicked out and evicted out of this earth, amen, and we're going to take over because it's God's earth. And he had a plan. He didn't say, blessed are the rich because they inherit the earth. He said, blessed are the what? The meek. Everybody say the meek. Let's say it like we mean it this morning. Somebody say, blessed are the meek, for they shall... Inherit the earth. Now, I want you to do a favor with me. Turn with me now to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to explain to you my definition today of humility, meekness. Now, of course, when, when we deal with subjects like meekness, humility, I cannot cover this in 45 minutes. Amen. There, there is just no way I can cover this subject of meekness. I mean, you have entire books written on the subject. And so what I recommend is many of you to do some outside reading. Uh, one of the books, and then the first come, first serve, I'll let you borrow some of these books. These are part of my personal library. One of the books I recommend is called The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. This book was uh, written in the early 1900s, a uh, pastor in England. This has one of the best definitions of humility. The definition of basically of humility that he gives is dying, dying to self, being dead to who you are, living for Christ. Everything he talks about in this book, it's all about the Calvary Road. The, the example, some of you may, maybe have heard these preached throughout the years, come a lot from this book. For, for example, if, if someone offends you, he would say to you, how can you be offended? You're dead. A dead man doesn't have any feelings. You're to be dead in Christ. You are not to get offended anymore. You're to walk in love. A lot of times we hold on to our rights and we say, I want to do this. I want to live here. I want to go here. He would say, where does a dead man go? He can't go anywhere. Your flesh is now dead. And it talks about the Calvary Road and how really God's purpose in eternal life is dying to what we want and living to what he wants, what God wants. Amen? So I recommend 
I dare somebody to pick this up. You will not be the same. I was just skimming through it again, and it was just, it was just so powerful. Here's another book. I recommend it to a lot of people here at different times. It's called Undercover by John Bevere. And I really recommend this book because so many of us uh, have been a part of churches where we've been hurt, uh, mistreated by leadership. I meet people all the time who tell me that's one of the reasons why they don't go to church is because of pastors and leaders that have hurt them. I had a long conversation with a gentleman named Patrick last night who said he grew up in a church where everybody was a hypocrite, cheated on their wives. I mean, it was just horrible. But what this book talks about is that even though pastors and lay leaders have mistreated God's people, that there are still some good pastors and leaders that you have to find and still be undercover and be teachable. See, I could come up here today and say, hey, you know, I don't need anybody. I've been to Bible college. But you know what? I still have the mentor in my life from Bible college that I met 12 years ago. Amen? He is still a mentor in my life and on the board of this church because I value the principles of accountability. I value. See, it's one thing to say, well, I'm meek. You know, I'm a humble person. Well, it's another thing to have somebody check if you're a humble person. Oh, hello. Come on now. It's one thing to just walk around going, oh, I'm pretty meek. I'm pretty humble. It's another thing to meet with another man uh, once a week and have them do an evaluation. How are you doing? How are you living? How are you treating your wife? How are you raising your family? How do you act in the church? You see, accountability is a part of this process. You see, it doesn't say that Jesus went up on the mountain and a disciple came to him, like there's just one disciple on the whole planet. No, he said the disciples came to him. This is a community event here, people. I'm not saying that we save each other, but I'm saying that we help each other in salvation. Amen? So undercover, the Calvary Road, John Murray also wrote a book called Humility, which is also a classic. I recommend that as well. If you're in Philippians 2, would you say I'm there? I want you to see now Jesus' identity, Jesus' position, and Jesus' function. And you'll get why I'm using these three terms to be our definition today of true meekness. Look at Philippians 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, let's just stop right there, and let's talk about attitude, okay? Can I just talk a little bit about attitude right here? Come on, I'm with my gente, my boricuas right here. Let me talk a little about attitude right here. And y'all look at me, no, he ain't talking to me. You getting attitude right now. Now, we all got attitudes, man. I grew up in an Italian family, and it's so funny because my, my wife experienced a little bit of that, of, of that this Christmas. My mom has a yelling, talking voice. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When my mom is talking to everybody else, she is yelling. And it's like, why is she yelling? That's just how she talks. And I'm like, you're meeting the real, the real Wyrostics now. You're meeting my real family now. You're a part of the family. And I want you to know something, that all of us have attitudes that are good and bad. But I want you to see this is an attitude that we are to have that is like Christ Jesus. This is not something that hits you on the head and happens spiritually. This is an attitude that you control, that you choose whether or not to have it. See, sometimes with those of us who believe in God, we come to church. It's like we come in here and it's like, ooh, I feel this spirit. And I know that we do, and it's so good. And it's like then we come up and pray, and we're like, Lord, change my attitude. And we, like, we think like from heaven, he's going to like send down a lightning, like, and you're just going to walk out, and you're like, hey, kids, I love you guys. 
You're so cute the way you play with each other in the car. I used to want to slap you, but now I just love you. (laughs) Then you got to come back next week and like, give me another dose. And then you just keep going through life, just getting zapped by God's spirit. And somehow you now become perfect. That's not how it works. We are saved, yes, by the Holy Spirit, doing the powerful things that only God can do. But in our life, we do have a brain, and we do have a mind. And God doesn't have to tell you to tie your shoes in the morning. He lets your mind help you tie your shoes. You, you, you don't have to uh, think about God mind-controlling you. God gave you a mind and a free will. That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And what he is saying is this is a choice. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a choice. You see, you and I have a choice. Our attitude is always our choice. So when we hear about the attitude of Christ, you and I have the choice to have this or not have it. Let's keep going. The attitude of Christ, you should have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So who was Jesus before he came in a manger, and who is he for eternity? Everybody say God. You see this right here? So Jesus' identity is he's God. He was God before he was born in a manger through a body. His eternal spirit was always God. It says it right there. Who being in very nature God. Now we see the second thing, that he took the very nature of a servant. So his identity is the very nature of who? God. But then when he came to earth, he took the very nature of what? A servant. That is why Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is 100% God, 100% man. This is called the hypostatic union. These are theological terms being described here, but it is so simple. He is God in all of eternity. He then becomes man, and now forever he is the God-man. Amen? His identity is God. But when he came on earth, he took the position of a man and a servant. And it says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. So Jesus Christ had a choice whether or not he wanted to die on the cross. If you remember the prayer on Gethsemane, he, he was praying and he said, Lord, if you can, uh, Father, if you can take this cup from, from me, please do so. But nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. So Christ had a will in the flesh that he could make a choice to either be obedient or disobedient. So when it came to his function, he was obedient to death on the cross. Therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of what? What's his name? Come on, shout it. What's his name? Who do we love? Come on, say it like you mean it. One, two, three. Jesus. Amen. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is called the kenosis in theological terms because the word kenosis is the Greek word for right here where it says, but made himself nothing, made himself nothing. The Greek word is kenosis. That is the ultimate form of meekness. He is God, and yet he 
empties himself of his divinity and comes down as man. And as man, he grew tired. He used the bathroom. He had to sleep. All of the things that God never does. God never sleeps. God never gets tired. God is in all places all the time. But the son said, I will take the position of a man so that I can die for men. That is the greatest act of kindness. That would be like you ladies loving your dolls so much, you become a doll. Limit yourself to the doll house. Die for all the dolls to be with you forever. Are you all listening? That would be like you loving your baseball and bat so much, you become a little baseball and bat and die for all your little baseball and bats to be with you. He created us. We are created by him, but he became one of us. You see the humility there. Do you understand that just when he walked on this planet, that was being humble. He never had to walk. Just him taking time to talk to people was him being humble. Just him not killing everybody that even questioned him was humble. Are you all listening? Here's the attitude of humility. Your attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus. Okay. What is meekness defined in Christ Jesus out of Philippians? It's number one, knowing your identity. Number two, it's knowing your position. And number three, it's knowing your function in life. Okay, watch this. Jesus is God. When he comes down as man in his position, he now says, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. So now you see that his identity is not determined by his situations. His identity remains unchanged, but in his circumstances, he shows himself to be where God placed him. And then he does the things that God asked him to do. He didn't have to die, but he chose to die. Somebody say, I'm getting it. All right, you're going to understand it here. I just had to show you that. Now, I want you to understand your identity I want you to understand your position, and I want you to understand your functions. And by you doing those things, that's meekness. You see, today what we're going to talk about is our identity in God and our position in God and our functions in God. And by you doing those things, you're being meek. If you get outside of who God says you are, that's pride. If you try to do things that you're not supposed to do, that's pride. Are you getting the point? If you try to have a position that's not your position, that's pride. See, I'm going to show you two extremes of pride. One extreme of pride is called self-abasement. That is to hate yourself. That is to not have the right identity in a negative way. It's saying, oh, I'm nothing. Nobody loves me. Suicide is a sin. Suicide is the, one of the greatest acts of pride. Depression is a sin. It is not a mental illness, people. It can become a mental problem and an illness, but it is a sin. It is a temptation from the devil to self-hatred, self-loathing. That is not the right identity. That is one form of pride. Oh, I'm not special. People are trying to tell you, oh, you're a good person. God loves you. He has a plan. Oh, no, God doesn't love me. I'm not special. I'll never change. That's pride. Everything you're saying about yourself, your identity, position, and function is messed up, and you are taking it in your own self to tell who you you are, what you do, and what, what position you have. Are you listening? You see, pride is any other definition of who you are, what you do, and and where you are in life than God's. Anytime you try to define your identity outside of God's identity for you, that is pride. So this one is the negative one. The other one is the self-adornment. 
It's to say, oh, I'm so beautiful. I'm so much better than everybody else. Nobody's like me. And we familiarize ourselves with this form of pride, but the other one is just as much a form of pride. And both of these are outside of God's identity, God's purpose and plan for our lives. Can you say amen? I'm trying to teach a little bit here. Now let's look up here, and let's see what First Peter says about having a different identity than really who you are. Taking a different position that's really not yours, and a function that's outside of your position. First Peter 5 says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, God is against the proud. You see, that person who's going through depression and they're hating themselves, they're thinking God is going to bless them because he has, he has pity for them. You think God is going to come down and have a pity-patty party with you. Oh, yeah, nobody likes you. I understand. Oh, yeah, you're so ugly. I know. I made you ugly. Yeah, you're, you're pretty ugly. No, you see, God opposes that attitude. God does not bless your self-pity. He won't have a pity-patty party with you. That's just the devil. Amen. You two will be together, and don't try to invite anybody else into your miserable pity-patty party, amen? Oh, sissy, you got to hear how terrible my life is right now. You see, God opposes that just as much as he opposes the other person. Oh, I'm so great. I don't have to pray. I don't need to serve in my church. I'm so great. I don't have to listen to my boss. God opposes that pride as well. But look what he does. He gives grace to the humble. Hey, if you suffer in life, if you feel troubles coming your way, I'm not saying that troubles are sin. When those things come, when the temptation of weakness and giving up comes to you, you say, God, help me. I'm humble. God, I know who I am, and I'm in these positions in life, and I have these functions. Lord, give me the strength to do them. I have the position of a mother and the function of taking care of my children. God, help me do these things. See, that's meekness. Are you all listening? It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So the definition of pride is having any opinion about yourself, your position, or your function that's outside of God's. And I'm going to start making this real plain, but I've got to lay down the groundwork. All this is just the introduction. Just look at your neighbor and say, it's the introduction. Amen. I'm going to preach in a little bit. Praise God. I'm going to get there. We're just introducing, introducing the subject. Now I'm going to teach you a term right here. That is becoming real popular in American society. It's called egalitarianism. That's a new word for everybody. It took me a while to pronounce it. So we're going to say egalitarianism together. One, two, three. Egalitarianism. Okay? And where the word, uh, what it comes from is egal, E-G-A-L, is the French word for equal. Now, the positive side of egalitarianism, or to be an egalitarianist, is everyone is created equal in identity, and has equal rights to both secular and religious positions and functions. So be, to be an egalitarian in a positive way is to say, I believe all genders are equal. Man and woman are equal. I believe that all races are equal, because there's only one race, the human race, amen? But better to say all cultures are equal, Latino, Asian, they're all equal. And that everyone has the equal opportunity to succeed in life. Okay, so that is to have the positive outlook of an egalitarianism. 
Uh, we're equal. We have equal opportunities. My wife can be a pastor just like I can be a pastor. We believe that uh, women can go out and have jobs. We believe that men can stay home and cook. Amen? We do believe that there are some things that God sets up for the success of the home, the man being the head and different things like that. But we believe in, in African-American presidents and leaders. We are, we are not at all racist, subjugist, or, or, or uh, somebody that is prideful and egotistical. Are you all listening? We believe in the humility and the oneness of humanity. Are you all with me? We are all the same. Okay. But here's, what's, here's what has slept in or snuck in while we were sleeping into the church. It's called total egalitarianism. And this is exactly what our friend from the military, David, faces when he does boot camp and those guys walk in on the first day of training camp. It's exactly what Ricky faces when he pulls somebody over. And that's the attitude that says, who are you to tell me what to do? You see, what we want to say now in this society is saying, yes, we're all equal as persons, but not only that, we're all equal in position. We're all equal in position. The police officer pulls us over. We now are going to tell him what to do. We don't think that he has an authority over us. And what total egalitarianism really is, is anti-authority because everyone is equal in identity. Therefore, they are equal in all positions and functions. Somebody say, it's time to get meek. See, I'm going to talk about, see, I'm going to give you some introductions here. But I've got to talk a little bit about what Jesus was saying. Blessed are the meek. You see, I've had visitors come to the church and try to teach me what I ought to do. You see, that's an anti-authoritarian attitude. Some of you parents have children that don't want to listen, and they want to tell you what to do. You see, that is anti-authority. Some of you on your job don't want to listen to what your boss tells you what to do because you say, oh, he's just a person like me. And the moment you go there, you are outside of God's plan. God has a plan for authority. God has a plan for order. And meekness is to know your identity, the position you play in this world, and the functions you are to have. Are you all listening? You see, when the young person shows up to school, what is their identity? They are a student. They're not the teacher. Come on, teenagers, look up at me. Let me teach you about meekness. I'm not talking about you walking into school. You see, Buddhists in this Asian philosophy teaches us you're not to feel any emotion. That's true. That's true meekness. You know, it's like, "Mm, hello, teacher. You know, I've been with those people, and I've been preaching to them. They're like, oh, you're getting mad. You're, 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 You're fiery, and that's a bad emotion. No, no, no. See, being meek is not just walking in saying, I feel no emotion. I'm just a leaf in the wind blowing back and forth. I walk on rice paper. No, let me tell you what meekness is when you walk to school. Know who you are. You're the student. Know your position. You listen to teachers. Know your functions. You go to class on time, do your schoolwork, get good grades. You do that, that's meekness, you'll be blessed. Woo! Come on, somebody. You see, that's being meek. You see, that's not being weak, that's being meek. Sure, you might be stronger than your teacher, but you're going to be under control with your emotions. Sure, you may say something that might be cute and smart, but you're going to keep it to yourself because your identity is a student, your position is to follow their orders, and your function is to do what you came to do as a student. Oh, see, I'm going to talk about that. You see, and when we get out of that, that's pride. I'm just going to start with them. I'm going to move to the adults. Amen? So y'all adults, get ready. Get ready now because it's coming. Woo! God had to work on me, man. He's going to start working on all of us. This is for our good, though. 
When the student walks in, he says, oh, I'm not going to let a teacher tell me what to do. He just forgot his, what his position was. That's pride. Now he forgot his identity, rather. And now all of a sudden he sits in class. And they say, what is the answer to this question? He's not going to answer. That's pride because he doesn't know his position. His position is to answer questions. And now all of a sudden they say, where's your homework? And he says, well, I didn't do my homework. Now he's in pride again because he does not know what his function is. Now let's move it now to the church. People get saved. They read this Bible for the first time. They walk up in the church. Now they want to start telling people what to do. That's not your identity. Your identity is you're born again. Your position is you're a new member of a church. And your function is to listen to whatever your pastors and leaders teach you because they are your authority. Oh, we got a smaller amen for that. See, I knew it was going to get quiet when we started talking about that. You see, that's meekness. It's not walking in the church going, here I am, pastor. I'm nothing. You're everything. Let's buy you a Rolls Royce. I'm not even worthy to come up there. Pastor, I'll carry your Bible for you. You are the man of God. No, that's not, that's not meekness. Meekness is knowing who you are. Yes, you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. Yes, we are both equal as children of God. But then know your position. What has God brought you here? And if you're new, he brought you here to be discipled. And then your function is to obey the teachings of the gospel. Follow your leadership. Leaders. Come on, let us bring it to our job. You, you may have to start over on a job where the boss is younger than you or you have more experience. But let me tell you something. What is your identity? You are an employee at Kraft Foods. You are an employee at Pepper Construction. That is who you are. Yes, now everybody in that business may be an employee just like you. But there are now positions. What is your position? Whatever your position is, fulfill your position. That is meekness. It's not coming into, you know, Pepper, I'm looking at Ishtar, you know, Pepper Construction, large company. It's not coming in going, you know, I don't know if you should hire me. I, I want to be meek and humble. No, that's not meekness. Meekness is coming in there going, I'm great at what I do. Whatever position you ask me to do, I will do to the best of my ability. Whatever functions you give me, I can do it. I'm a team player, and I will succeed and help build this company. Somebody say, oh, that's pride. No, that's just knowing who you are. You see, when Jesus came on this earth, he knew he was still God in his identity. And when the devil said, oh, if you're the son of God, do such and such, he said, I know I'm that. Don't test the Lord your God. And when the Jewish people put him on, on stand and they said, oh, if you're really God, you know, do all this. He said, I don't have to do all what you're asking me to do. But you will see the Son of Man coming down with the angels judging everybody. You see, you can know who you are and walk in who you are in confidence and still be meek. It's funny how people want to uh, correct their boss. Oh, oh, boss, you're being mean now when the boss is doing his job by correcting you as the employee. It's like we want to get mad at the boss when he's correcting us. And then let's put it now like with the police officer. You know, like for the police officer to be meek, according to some people's definition, he has to kind of walk up over to the car. Excuse me. I just want to know, can I stop you? Okay, you're busy. All right. When, okay, is it a good time for you? No, not a good time. Okay, I'll talk to you later. You see? And I know that we can have pride when we get out of our position, when the police officer goes out of his position and becomes a a dictator and all these things. But if he just walks up, hey, you are speeding, let me get your license, that's not him acting in pride. That's him acting in his identity and position. That's his function. His function is to protect our streets so that people don't drive 60 miles an hour and kill people. 
So when he stops us for speeding, some of us get stopped. We aren't to say, oh, how prideful and arrogant he is. We're to respect him. And I'm not to say, well, we're both American citizens. And I, I should be able to tell you what to do. I'm a taxpayer. You, you hear that one come up. I'm a taxpayer. You're, you work for me. No, 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 no. Right now, his position is he is a police officer. My position is I'm a driver. You see, there's authority in that. And God is in that authority. God is in structure. Hello? And then the function. His function is to ask for my license, my insurance, and those things. My function is to give it to him. And I could go on these examples all day long. And I want you to see that this is not of God when we are in pride, but really when we're humble, that's of God. And then God blesses us. God will bless you on your job when you know your identity, when you know your uh, position, and you can function well at your job. At any time in that you struggle, you, you have hardships, maybe the job is hard, maybe you feel your boss is mean, the Bible says pray to God for strength. He will give you grace to go to work. He will give you the grace to fulfill your duties. Don't act out in pride. And I could just go on with families. You see, the mother and the, and, and, and the father are the head of their home, and the children are to obey their family. And children, if you do not obey your parents, you will not be blessed. And all the parents said amen. Amen. Now let's get to the message. You all ready for the message? Okay. Okay. Let's look at uh, Genesis 1.27. You know what? i got so many scriptures, I think I'm going directly to them here. So they're going to be popping up on the screen kind of quick here. Because I knew it was going to take me a while to build that point. Does everybody get it? If you got it, can you say amen? All right, that's it. That, that, that's what I had to say about what true meekness is, what we're here to do, and how we're here to do it. Now let's start with the most important relationship we're ever going to have, God. Our relationship with God. You've got to know your identity. You've got to know your position. You've got to know your function. See, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew what he came to do, and Jesus was willing to do it. He was a humble man. Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The first person, the first relationship you and I ought to be humble in is our relationship with God. The first thing is our identity. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So our identity and our relationship with God is we are God's creation. Everybody say that with me. I am God's creation. So you understand when an atheist says there is no God, that's pride. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know who he is, and he's going to try to be something that he's not. Him wanting to be a monkey, and isn't that something? Sin will make a fool out of you. Isn't that something? Now the atheist is going to downgrade himself from the image of God, thinking he's so smart, but yet he's a fool. And the one who doesn't believe in God is now going to call himself an animal made in the image of a monkey. But yet we've got that being taught to our kids. We've got that being taught in most major universities, the lie of evolution, that we are in the image of monkeys. That may seem to be a self-abasing pride, and that pride is just as bad as I'm in the image of an angel. God hates both of it because it is not his identity for mankind. His identity isn't we're made out of monkeys and apes, and it's not we come from angels. The identity is we are made in God's creation. The 
The first step to being humble with God is to understand who you are to God. He created you. Act accordingly. Come on, somebody. There's going to be a test at the end of your life. Act accordingly. God is watching you today. You are his creation. That's meekness. It's not pride to say, I'm made in the image of God. That's a statement of fact. It's not pride to say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is a statement of fact. Psalms 139. It is not pride to say, I'm the apple of his eye. And man is the creation that God is most mindful of. These are statements of fact. You see, that will get you out of depression just right there. Just knowing who you are. You see, how can you be depressed saying, I am God's creation. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am God's apple of his eye. I am his pride and joy. I am his child. How, how can you be uh, depressed saying that? That's number one, our identity. Now let's get to our position and who we are with God. First John 3.10 says, this is how we know the children of God and who they are and who the children of the devil are. So there's two types of creation running around right now. You all see that? There's children of God, and there's children of the devil. Here's how you can know who you are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So now your position is you are either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. we all his creation. We're all made in his image. Now you and I get to choose what position you want to have with him. Your identity is God's creation, period. Number two, are you going to be his child? Are you going to live like a child of the devil? You see, meekness says, I want to be God's child. And I want to do it his way. I want him to speak to me. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to know his word. I want to glorify him in my life. That's meekness. Anything else, I want to be a Buddhist. That's pride. I want to be a Muslim and pray five times a day and submit myself to the will of Allah. That's pride. To say, oh, I believe in the great universality of God and that he's in energy. Ooh, and he's in the trees and the birds in the air. And when I go up to the mountaintops and I meditate, I feel God. You're in pride. You're cute, but you're in pride. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all it is. That's all you just did right there. It's like a three-year-old child not knowing their position, getting dirty, playing in mud when mama told him, come inside because you're going to get dirty. That's pride disobedience. God did not call us to form our own religions. He did not tell us to do it his way. He didn't tell us to make our own way to heaven. He says there's one way. You live this way. Know your position. That's meekness. Amen? Praise God. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. For the word of God. I thank God for his word. It's a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. Now what's our function? First John 5, 3 says this is love for God. To obey his commands. There it is. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Your function is to now, if you are a child of God, to obey his commands the rest of your life. That's it. He has a command for who you are to marry. He has a command for in marriage how to have a happy home. He has a command for how you to raise your how you are supposed to raise your children. God has a command on how we are to work our jobs. Don't you think God cares about what you do 9 to 5? God has a plan. Look at your neighbor and say God has a plan. You and I are to follow that plan. When we sin, what is a sin? Sin is anything outside God's plan. There it is. 
If, if you look at you, your child take a pencil and start sticking it up its nose, that is a sin because that's outside of God's plan for that pencil and his nose. You all understand? Why is, I'm going to be real blunt here, and all our young people are going to be able to handle this, okay? You know why homosexuality is a sin? Because that's not God's plan. It's not a plan for two men to get together, two women to get together. The plan was one man, one wife, get together and bear children. That's the plan. You don't do that, that's sin. You know why murder is a sin? Because it's not the plan for us to kill each other. That's not the plan. You know why blasphemy is a sin? It's because it's not the plan for us to take his name in vain. You understand, you see, the commandments of God is the plan for our life. And if you can know your function, you will follow his plan. Now i got something to talk about right here. When you get born again, you're born of the Spirit. And the Bible says he anoints you to keep his plan. And I like to say it like this. The anointing is the unction to function. So when you get born again, you and I can't keep his plan. But inside of us is better. Or the Bible says greater is he that's inside of us than he that's in the world. He says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You can get excited any time. And he says we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. He says he will complete the work that he has begun in us to the day of completion when Christ Jesus comes. Oh, hallelujah. You see, now God is working on us, and that's how we do our function. So what's our identity with God? We're God's creation. What's our position? We're either child of God, child of the devil. And then what is our function? To obey his commands. Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those. Happy will be those who know that they are God's creation. Happy are those who know that if they're a child of the devil, they'll be born again to be a child of God. Happy are those today who have been born again and are children of God. Blessed and happy are those who go through life keeping God's commands as obedient children. You shall inherit the earth. That's something to get excited about. We will inherit the earth. That's meekness. That's us saying, I know my purpose my identity, and my function. Can you say amen? Now i got one more group uh, uh, run relationship, one more I want to talk about, and that's in the church. I don't have time today to talk about families and jobs and society. I'll pray and ask God if he wants me to make this a two-parter. But when I was preparing this message, I said, God, where do people need to learn meekness the most? Where does the gift of meekness and that attitude need to be developed the most? And obviously the Lord said, teach them how to be meek with me. Teach them how to do what I asked them to do. I'm trying to get them to obey me, you know. And then the second thing the Lord says, show them how to be meek in the church. Because I think if I can teach a man here some order, he'll be able to set some order in his house. And if I can teach y'all what God wants you to do while you're here for an hour, you're going to learn how to apply it to your job and be successful. Amen? So I'm going to show you how God, how God runs his organization. A lot of people here are in business. Uh, a lot of you here are, are, are wanting to, to do your own business and different things. Well, this is God's business. A lot of us here are part of families. All of us are, you know, obviously are part of a family. A lot of us want big families. Some of us are starting our family. Well, here's how God runs his family. And if you take your time, you can read the Word, and you can see how it applies to your life. So let's look at the identity of you in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. 
the body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we all were baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. See, there's the egalitarianism of that. We're all equally baptized into the body, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. So everybody say, I am a part of the body of Christ. Come on, say it again. Say, I am a part of the body of Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, you look good. Come on, you're a part of the body. You look good, man. You're doing your function if you came here today. That's part of your function. So watch this. We're a part of the body of Christ. So when we all came here today, and we're sitting here today, and thank you for coming, all of our identity is we're a part of the body. But guess what? We all have different parts. We're going to get to our positions in just a minute, but we are a part of that one body. Yes, your pastor, when he gets done, he sets down the mic, and I go home just like you. I don't fly home like Superman. Amen. You know, no Superman here. I I do everything normal as a man. And guess what? I know you do too. And just like how I'm tempted, I know you're tempted, but we can all each overcome temptation. And, and so that's why God uses men to preach the gospel, because I'm supposed to show you an example of a man who's lived for a certain amount of time holy before God, 12 years and counting, amen, 10 years of ministry, thank you, Jesus. But guess what? Yeah, we're a part of the body. We are equally a part of the body. So you've heard your pastor say that. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I don't think our leaders are better than anybody else. I know that we are all equally a part of the body of Christ. But how many know now we have different parts? Some is going to be the hand. Some are going to be the feet. The Bible says the head is Christ. Some are going to be the legs. The Bible says some are hidden within the organs, the things that we don't see, the the people who are behind the scenes. But we all have a different part. And so now what has to happen is you need to know your position. You need to know what are you doing here? Why are you here today? What position does God have you in the church? Can you say amen? You see, because you have a part to play. You see, the person that says, oh, I'm born again, I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to church, that's just like, I should ask him, hey, when you want to go to work, does your finger say, cut me off and leave me at home? Say, hey, just cut me off, I'm going to stay here today. No, you bring your pinky with you. Well, guess what? When we meet the church, all of us need to be here. The pinkies, the thumbs, the feet, the elbows, the ears, we all need to get together. Amen? A body is many parts. You're not going to be out there floating alone as a little ear all by yourself. Amen? Wouldn't that just be gross? But we got a lot of people. I'm not going to church. I don't need to go to church. Little ear just hanging right over by itself. Come on back. Join the body. Be humble. Amen? Humble yourself. We all come here to learn. I love how Adolfo said, Pastor, I love watching you get preached to. Yeah, guess what? I love getting preached to, too. I love the Word of God. That's why I listen to it all throughout my week. We're all equally here to learn and be a part of God. Now, what is our position? 1 Corinthians 12, 18-20 says, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as what? Oh, come on. Somebody say, just as he wanted to be. You see, I didn't choose to be the pastor. Yes, I had to be meek and be in the position God asked me to be in, but God chose me to be a pastor. And if you're here, part of the church, God chose you to be a part of the church, and now you got to hear his calling on what he's called you to do. 
Has he called you to work with the children? Has he called you to help us feed the poor? Has he called you to be in the worship ministry? You see, each one of us have a calling. I do not feel like there's anybody here that's going to be numb and handicapped and crippled. The body is alive. It's Christ's body. Amen? It's all fully functioning. And there's a part for every one of us to play. And that is what the Bible is teaching. If, there's, if there were only one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. You have a position in the body of Christ. Now, here's the, the flow chart of uh, Metro Praise. And here's how we do positions here. Now, here's the good thing. There's a lot of great churches all over the city. There's a lot of great churches all over the country and the world. God is moving today in his people. The, the rate of growth among Christians is eight times faster than the rate of birth. That means for every baby born in the world, there's eight Christians being born again. Right now in Latin America, one out of four people in Latin and Central and South America are Christians baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking other tongues. Colombia is experiencing revival. A lot of nations like Brazil and Africa and China. God is moving among his people. They have over 500 churches just in Mozambique. Are you listening? So here's the good part. You can find a church to be a part of. But this is how Metro Praise is going to do it. Amen? We're not going to have a committee meeting on how we're going to do it because we've already decided that part. Now you coming, we welcome you. We want you to be a part of this. Amen? We like to look at it in the biblical sense. We have apostolic elders. These would be like Paul and the disciples, the original church. These are my men that have discipled me. Uh, Anthony Freeman, Roy Bowes, my father. And guess what? I've been appointed as a pastor. And my wife and I, we pastor the church together. Then you have governing elders, people among the congregation who have gone through the classes, studied themselves, showed themselves approved, have been tested and approved, have gone through boot camp, brother, and came out humble and meek before God. Those are their families up there. Then we have deacons. These are the people that are working with them. These are the helpers of the church, the servants, and they are in the two one class. Then we have disciples, those of you who have gotten saved and say, I want to be discipled. Disciple me in your home. Teach me the word of God. And then we have attendees. You might be a visitor attending this church. You might be a part of another church. That's fine. But here is the plan. What is your position? What we would like to see everybody be is between a deacon and an elder because we would like to see everybody begin to help out and take a position and start doing something. Obviously, we want everybody to be saved and a disciple. But you see right here, we don't do membership. So it's not like, you know, you come take a class and then now you're like a member of Metro Praise. I'm like, what is the point of that? What's the point of just me saying you're a member? Well, we believe as the body of Christ, if you are a part of this church, you'll do something. You'll be accountable. Now, how many understand that this is what we have happen here quite a bit in, in our total egalitarian society? How many understand if a visitor, a first-time attendee, wants to check the pastoral elder, how many know there's a problem right there? How many know that that's out of order? That's not meekness. So that's an order. It's a good order. You see, there's people that keep me accountable. Then the leaders that are mentoring you are being kept accountable. So you know what meekness is in the church? Let's just close it up here with our function. Hebrews 13:17. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. You see what the Bible says? 
Oh, man, that's, oh, we got to read that again. Amen. <laughs> it says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Now, listen, if I, as a leader, start asking you to drink a magical Kool-Aid and put some poison in it, or I ask us all to move out to the, to the woods and start a commune and intermarry each other's wives, okay, don't obey the leader. Amen. Run from your leader because that's a cult. All right? But we're not doing that here. Anytime you, you see men and women of God, like I said, there are some ones that have messed it up. But when you see good ones, Ish and Robin are good leaders. Ricky and Rachel are good leaders. Our deacons are good leaders. My wife and I, by God's grace, good leaders. Amen. When Tisa and, and uh, Jean come, they're good leaders. They are a part of this church. They can pray for you. They, they can give you advice. That's a good church. Don't be afraid to be a part of that. So the Bible says, obey them, submit to them. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, obey your leaders so it will be a joy. Amen. Not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Your function is to obey your leaders and to begin to do great things for God. Would you stand up with me today as the band comes? Amen. If you love the Lord, can we bless him this, this morning, this afternoon? Amen. So we started off today with Philippians. And we learned that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the what? Let's all say together, blessed are the meek. One, two, three. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who is our example? Christ. Your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Do you know your identity with God today? That attitude should be in you. I'm God's creation. God loves me. He created me. God does not make junk. I'm blessed. I have been given talents and abilities. That needs to be your identity. Number two, do you know your function with God? Do you have an attitude, a right attitude to say, uh, rather, my position with God is, man, I'm, I'm a child of the devil, but I want to repent. Is that your attitude today? Because that's a good attitude to have. You see, God still loves sinners. He loves high school dropout, drug-dealing sinners like what I was at 18. He loves mother sinners who have gotten into bitterness and anger. He loves youth sinners who have followed the ways of P. Diddy and Tupac. And if that sinner, if you're a sinner today and you could just say, hey, I know that my position is wrong and I want to be in right position with God, God will forgive you right now. Change your position. He will take you from where you were to where you need to be. And then you need to know your function. Today, obey God. Spend time praying, reading your Bible, get around people in the church. Simple. When you face temptation... Ask God to give you the strength. He'll give you grace. Ask God for his help. He will help you. That's with God. Now with the church. Do you know that you're a part of this church? You're attending, okay? So do you want to be discipled here? We want you to be a disciple. Jesus Christ made disciples. So come out of the crowd and become a disciple. Join the one-on-one. We love you. The people that are going to be training you, they're accountable. 
They're being taught themselves, but they want to help you become a disciple. And then as a disciple, know your function. We are a church that is only two and a half years old. I am sure the things you want to do, God has an opportunity for you to do it here. As long as it's in God's will, I'm sure there's a place for that. Some people say, man, I want to work with the children. Let's do that. Someone says, man, I want to work with the youth. I want to start sporting leagues. Let's do that. Man, I want to start something during the week like an AA, but for Christians, and we can just say Jesus. We don't have to say our higher power. Go ahead. Get in class. Get disciples. We'll give you the keys. This is for everybody. We're all here to function. And watch what God will do when you and I walk meek in our relationship with Him and our relationship to this church. You're going to go home, gentlemen, and you're going to see, see who God called you to be. You're the head of your house. So that's your identity. God called me to be the head. And then you know what your position is? To love everyone in that place like Christ loves the church. And your function is to lay down your life like Christ did every day to make that home a blessed home. And when you struggle, Father, Sir, Husband, when you struggle, ask God for help. Why? Because you're being meek. It's nothing wrong with saying you're the man of the house. That's, that's your identity. That's true. But be in the right position and function so you don't have to say it every day. You can show it and people will follow you. Your wife will follow you. Your children will follow you. Wives, know your identity. You are the helpmate of your husband. You are the mother to children. Those are your identities. And your position is to love and to nurture your family. Maybe you're a single mother here. Maybe God is asking you to do both identities, but, but you can do it because he'll give you grace. And your position. And mothers, love your children. And teach them the word of God. Show your daughters how to be a woman of God one day. Show your men how to respect, young men, how to respect women. Amen? And then our children follow their parents. Let them obey. Every child, you obey your parents. The Bible says it will go well with you. Amen? And parents can say amen to that. It will go well with you. You will not have to get that licking. And then all of us, and I know I'm just way over time, so please forgive me today. And all of us, let us go to our jobs. And we don't have to walk in there. In, in the forms of pride, I'm the best. Nobody knows what I know. And in the other form of pride, I'm an idiot. You know, I just can't do nothing. Let's walk into our jobs this week confident. I, I'm working for Pepper. I'm the project manager. Let's get the job done right. Let's function at this thing. And when you find a problem, a situation, something that's outside of your wisdom, ask God for help and seek others' help. Be humble. Be me. When people are under you and you're their boss, you're their manager, treat them with respect and ask them the same respect to be given to you. That's what God called us to do. And we will meet back here week after week. And as long as the Lord shall tarry and we are upon this earth, we will be blessed, full of happiness, because we have done it God's way. Amen? Let's thank him as we leave out here. Lord, we thank you and we bless you, Lord, for bringing us here today. We thank you for your word that has given us a light unto our path, O oh God. We thank you today that you bless the meek. 
God, because if you said you bless the rich, not many of us, he would be blessed today. But God, you bless the meek. That way, that way everybody gets to have a part of that blessing. What an honor it is to be in a relationship with you. God, help us to know our identity and position with you. Oh, God, what an honor it is to be in your church today. Oh, God, let us know what we're here to do and help us to do it. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, if you want to switch your position with God, you want to be born again, you want to be a child of God and repent of your sins, if God brought you here today, you know whether or not you're with Him. Be honest. If you want to switch positions, raise your hands right now. Come on, wherever you are. Come on, just wherever you are. God knows who you are. Don't be ashamed. And we're going to pray with you today. And we're going to make ourselves available to you because God wants you to be in the position of a child. He wants you to be able to call him Abba, Father. Poppy, Daddy, I love you. He wants you to have a great relationship with him. you got to get right with him, though. Come on. Now let's all pray this prayer together. It's a prayer of realignment. It's repositioning ourselves with God. Let's all pray it with them today, saints, so that they can hear the prayers of children of God. Let's say it. Jesus, I come to you today, and I position myself to be your child. Forgive me of my sins. Bring me back to you. Come into my heart. Make me a new creation. I want to function in your kingdom. I want to do what pleases you. Now let's all raise our hands as new Christians and saints of God alike. Let's begin to ask God to use us in life. Come on, God, teach us something about ourselves today that we can change. Show us our attitudes, oh God. Come on, if you're a new Christian, just start saying, God, change me. Oh, God, I just want to live for you. Come on, if you're a seasoned saint of God, just say, Lord, it's my desire to live for you. Oh, God, I want to live for you every day. Oh, God, what an honor it is to be your son and daughter. Oh, we love you. We love you, Jesus. Gloria a Dios. Oh, Jesus Christos, El Señor, you're the boss of my life, Jesus. You're the boss, God. Take over, Lord. Oh, have all of me, Jesus. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Help us to function. Help us to function, oh, God. Help us to do what pleases you. Maybe you came in here addicted. Maybe you came in here struggling with sin. Come on, just raise up your hands just right where you are and just say, God, help me to function. Help me to keep your commands. Help me to get my pack of cigarettes, throw them away, and never smoke again. Oh, God, set me free. Oh, God, set us free. Come on. Maybe you came in here struggling with pornography. Maybe there's depression in your life right where you are. Come on, say, Jesus, set me free. Jesus, I need you. I need not self-esteem, but I need God-esteem. Tell me who I am again, Jesus. Tell me that I'm your child. Tell me that I'm the apple of your eye. Oh, God, tell me that you love me again. Tell me that I'm special to you, Lord. Teach me, Lord. God, I pray you teach people here today who they are. That they're God's creation, oh God. Hallelujah. I feel that today. I feel some of you just need to raise up your hands. And you need to say, I am a child of God. I won't be depressed anymore. Devil, get out my life. Sorrow, get out my life. Jesus, you're my joy. 
Jesus, you said that you love me, and I believe it. I believe that you love me, Lord. Woo! God, you have a plan for my family. Glory! Glory! Come on. Come on, those of you that came with self-adornment, just say, God, I'm nothing. I need you every day. Oh, some of you need to humble yourselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may lift you up. Oh, glory to God. Make us humble here. Make us humble in your sight, oh God. Jesus. Come on, we're going to pray just for a few more minutes. Now we're going to pray for the church, and we're going to pray that we know our position. Come on, won't you just raise up your hands and say, God, what have you positioned me here to do? Oh, God, what is my position at Metro Praise? Those of you visiting from Puerto Rico, come on. If you don't know, just raise your hands and just say, God, show me what I'm to do back at home. Oh, God, he's got a plan for you. Lord, you've got a plan for everybody here. Come on, what is God's calling on your life? What is God calling you to do? Man, you might have just got saved, but God has a calling. We're not going to rush you. God's going to use you over time. But right now, He can speak it to you. I knew within the first couple of months of being a Christian what I was going to do the rest of my life in the church. Come on. God, speak to your people. God, I pray you raise up, oh God, children's workers and pastors and leaders, greeters and ushers and worshipers and youth helpers and, oh God, every ministry under the sun, feeding the poor ministry, oh God, and bus ministry, oh God. I pray that your body here will be an alive, healthy body. I pray that every attendee will become a disciple. I pray that every disciple will become a deacon. I pray that every deacon will become a leader and an elder, a preacher and a teacher. Oh, God, and I pray that those you call out of the leaders, that, God, they'll start ministries, missionaries, and go around this city and around the world for your glory. We pray for 500 churches, Jesus, to come out of Metro Praise because, God, we know you got callings on people's lives. God, we know that people got to go to foreign lands and preach your gospel. Hallelujah. Now we're going to function in the way the whole church is always supposed to function. We're going to pray for the lost. So hold somebody's hand just next to you right now. One of the functions of the church is to pray for people who are not saved. Let us pray right now. Let's cross over the aisles, please, as well. Let our last prayer today be the prayer of salvation for our friends, our family, those that couldn't make it today but ought to be here, for those in our government, our leaders, Let's pray that God's kingdom will come on this earth. Right now, just begin to start to just pray right now. Come on. Pray for your neighbor's family. Start by praying for somebody on the left and the right of you. God, I pray you save lost family members here. I pray, God, you save Ricky's father, oh God. Bring him back to you, his aunts and his uncles. God, I pray for Ishmael's family, oh God. Pray that they will serve you. I pray for his co-workers. God, I pray that Pepper will come to know you. God, I thank you for Rachel today, God. I pray that her family members will be saved, God, her co-workers. Glory to God. Jesus, I pray that you'll save Josh's father, God. Save his family, O Lord. I pray at GameStop as a manager, God, he leads people to you. Oh, God, I pray you bless him for your glory, Jesus. Lead him back to you. Hallelujah, God, I pray that you save the missing sister, God, from the Rodriguez family, Lord. I pray that you bring her back, Nancy, Lord. I pray you save her, Jesus. I pray you save, God. 
I pray you save George, God, Luisa's husband, Lord. We pray for salvation, God. God, we lift up to you our lost family members, God, our community. Now could you just pray for this city and nation right now? Could we just pray for this city and nation? The elections are coming up. There's so much turmoil with us being at war. Let's just pray that God, God's will is done in this nation again. God, I pray you set the thing in order, Lord. I pray our presidents and our, our president, our leaders follow you. Oh, God, I pray that the church will follow you. The pastors will get right with you. God, I pray you'll give us peace. God, with those that are, are, hate, are hating us, our enemies. God, I pray you will protect our soldiers, God. God, protect our children in school. God, be with our families. We pray for the gay and lesbian community. God, they don't know their identity. We pray, God, that you teach them who they are. Oh, God, just all the areas of our city, the poverty, the, the hurting, God, we ask you to, to move, oh, Lord. We want to function as your church. We want to make a difference, oh, God. In Jesus' name.